I'm excited to share this morning. Um, I've been enjoying this series this summer, kind of a lighthearted theology all around us. God is at work in plain sight if we have our eyes open to see him. And um, I hope that you've connected with something where you're like, oh, yes, that is a, that's a, maybe you connected last week, you're like, yeah, I love those Married at First Sight shows. Um, I hope that there's something here that is connected with you. And I hope also that as you've been going about your week, that you, I had a couple people actually over the last couple weeks be like, what about this? I, I've seen this and it makes me think about the kingdom of God. So I hope that you're having experiences here or you're listening and it's opening your eyes to what's around you when you leave here. Um, so I'm excited for this week. It's my confession week. So last week was Brent's True Confessions and um, of his, so the thing that was kind of the cultural moment for him that he resonated with is all of these shows about love and marriage at first sight and arranged marriages, okay? So my true confession this morning is that I love true crime shows. Anybody else? Come on, that's it? Okay, guys, I'm surprised. You don't fit, you don't fit the, uh, the statistics. I love true crime. And actually, I was telling Matthew about this this week. We were laughing at how, if you know Brent and myself well, you would think it would be swapped, that Amy would like the stories about love and marriage, and Brent would like the true crime. No, we like to keep it interesting. I love true crime stories, okay? So, and true crime is having a cultural moment. People are so obsessed with learning about true crime and hearing all these stories. A lot of it began in 2014 when there was a podcast that came out called Serial. Did anybody listen to that? So good. Okay, if you're not into true crime, I'm going to tell you, like, you have to be thoughtful and careful about how you engage with it, okay? But if you're going to start somewhere, start with Serial. 2014, it was so good. It was about this guy who was accused of killing someone. And through a whole podcast, basically, they uncover that he didn't actually kill this person. And then it just it blew into many, many, many more podcasts of similar kinds of stories. And so I love that. That's where I began. Um, there's a few other ones that I loved up there. Dr. Death. It's about a guy who's a doctor, but who's actually really terrible at being a doctor. It ends up killing a bunch of people. Um, these sound so great, don't they? My favorite murder. My favorite murder is like a mixture of comedy and <laughs> Stories about murder, again, this is, this is weird when I'm really saying this out loud. Crime Junkie, is anybody l l listen to Crime Junkie? Okay, I see you, Mandy. Um, it's, it's every week, it's just a, a nice little lighthearted story about some true crime or murder that's happened, you know. Um, some of you are, are a little old school, you know, you don't, you don't do the podcast, but you watch, you love a dateline, a Friday night dateline, or 48 hours, or 2020, yeah, any of those people in the house? Okay, okay, me too. Um, true crime has obviously been around for a long time, but it is having a cultural moment. People are kind of obsessed with it, and, and especially in podcast form where you can listen to the stories. And it is, um, in fact, as I was researching this week, it is the most common or the most popular topic among all of the top-ranked podcasts. So if you go to like Apple Podcasts, like all the things that are trending, Usually like eight out of 10 of them are true crime. And they're most popular among women. If you're a woman, you're like twice as likely to listen to true crime. So here I am, I sit and I fit the stereotype. So why is this a phenomenon? 
I asked this question a whole lot this week. In fact, if you're friends with me on Facebook, I was doing a little Facebook poll. I'm like, why do you listen to or watch true crime stories? And I even had a professor from Drake Days message me, and she's like, I, I'm so interested in this that I taught a whole, she's a women's studies professor. She's like, I taught a whole class on why people love true crime. And she's like, I still don't know the answer. So uh, I don't know that I have any clear answers for you this morning. There's a little mystery involved in it. But based on a lot of articles and things I read this week and some of my own experiences and talking to the people that messaged me back, there are many reasons, but there's a couple that rise to the top. And the first reason that people love to consume and be entertained by true crime is just simply a form of escapism. So it's purely this idea of like, it's a, a way to be entertained to escape our own realities. Sounds so sad, doesn't it? Um, and I, I will be honest, this is really true confessions. I, I fit this mold too. Um, it, it's this kind of guilty pleasure or there's some kind of thrill in these stories, right? It pulls you into this mystery and there's things as you listen that are shocking and, and you're trying to figure out the answer and who killed who and, and there's adventure in it and you get caught up in this story. As we were talking about it in Message Community this week, Steve Rogers was like, yeah, they like manipulate your emotions and the way they tell the story. And I was like, yes, I love that. You know, I get caught up in it. And I'm like, yes, I'm on pins and needles wanting to know who killed this person or, you know, who's done this thing. There's an adrenaline rush with it. And it's kind of exciting. And I wait and I wonder about the next story or the next episode that I'm going to hear there is just something about us wanting to get caught up in something bigger than ourselves, caught up in a kind of dramatic story. And part of that is just because our normal lives, our everyday, daily grind has become flattened. It's just kind of mundane for many of us. It's monotonous. I even would say there's days where it's dreadful. You know, you go to work and you do the same thing over and over, pack the same lunch and drop your kids off or do laundry or clean. It seems so clear that just many of us, day to day, our lives have become this kind of flattened, monotonous experience. And so we look for an outlet. We look for something, a place to escape to where there's adventure and there's thrill and there's something interesting and something that draws us in and, and manipulates our emotions. We're like, yes, I wanna know more and, and mess with my emotions more, you know? Um, and the, it's the same idea as people who, like maybe you're a novel reader, you love to read novels, you get into a story and you get drawn in, I like that too. Um, or sci-fi or fantasy. Um, there's a way that it just feeds this need in us for adventure or for risk or for thrill or just feeling fully alive and engaged. Do you ever have that question in your mind, like there's gotta be more than this? Like you're just having a long week and you're just doing the same things over and over and you're like, there's gotta be more than this. Sometimes I feel like, and I know Matthew would tell you this, I'm like, I feel like I'm just like, we're gonna clean. He's like, again? <laughs> we're just cleaning and cooking and sending the kids to school and going to work and there's just this monotony that happens. And we're meant to live more fully than that. 
We are meant to live lives that are more dynamic and more full and internal worlds that don't need to be manipulated by stories of murders and things, but internal worlds that are full and vibrant and engaging. Brent and Steve and I have been reading some materials from this author named Andrew Root, and he talks a lot. You've probably heard them share about that on Sundays too. Like, he talks a lot about how we are living more and more and more into a, like a secular age. So all the kind of sacredness of life is taken out, or it's saved for this moment. You know, it's saved for a Sunday morning only. And we're sacred beings. We are humans that have been created for the sacred. We've been created for the supernatural. Remember when I talked about tarot cards and crystals and all those things? It's, again, people are seeking experiences and encounters with something bigger and beyond themselves because so often what we experience right in front of us feels mundane and monotonous and actually God created us as sacred beings who are meant to have supernatural experiences, who are meant to live sacred lives, feeling full of life. But so often our culture flattens us and we're invited into just doing more and getting more done and being more productive and being more efficient and we are not invited to slow down, to become present with what's right in front of us. And so often those ways of us living leave us feeling flat and tired and uninspired. And so what do we do? We resort to finding other people's stories that are more provocative or more dynamic or more inspiring. And it makes me sad. I felt conviction about this this week for myself. I'm like, oh, God, you've invited me. You, you've offered me abundant life. And you've offered me adventure and mystery. And you've offered me dynamic relationship with you, God, and dynamic relationship with my husband and my kids and my friends and my church and shared life. And there is so much life that Jesus has for us for me that we miss out on. Following Jesus should give us real life, abundant life, not flat, monotonous, boring life, but life where we are fully present, where we feel like we're living in 3D. You know, We feel fully ourselves and fully connected and present to the moments and the people and God and right in front of us was interesting, right before the summer began, I was feeling this strong. I was just feeling the monotony of life and work and tired and weary, and I felt flat. Um, and so as, as the summer approached, I was thinking, oh my goodness, like the kids are gonna be home a lot. There's a lot that's going on. God, what do you want from me? How, how do you wanna meet me this summer? And you know the word that he gave me as I was just listening? I was not expecting this, but as I was listening in prayer, it was the word delight. And he was like, I want you to take delight this summer. Declare it the summer of delight. And I want you to delight in me, and I want you to know that I'm delighted in you, and I want you to delight in your kids and all the things around you. And so I have been intentionally having my eyes open and looking for those moments of delight, right? Where I would naturally be like, I'm gonna do laundry, let me get on my true crime podcast, you know, and listen, and 
But no, I, I feel the Lord being like, delight in me. Find delight in laundry. Find delight in the monotony of the day-to-day. Find delight in those things. And actually, there are a lot of delightful things around you, Amy, and I began to see it. You know, I'm swimming with my kids, and they're splashing me in the face, and instead of me being annoyed, I'm like, this is so fun, and we're having fun together. And as I'm gardening, instead of being like, oh my goodness, it's so hot, and we need rain, I'm like, you know, we're spraying down the, the garden, and the kids are finding and harvesting tomatoes and cucumbers, and they're excited and delighted, and I find delight. I eat my, I've been eating tomatoes. The tomatoes are so good right now just salt and pepper and just that thick, oh, and I delight in that. And I'm finding delight in God's creation. Or I think about even relationships, our neighbors. Um, my neighbor has, is going through cancer. She's got brain cancer. And we've had an opportunity to just connect with them even more and get to know them even better and, and share more life. And I'm like, this is a hard situation, but there is delight here. Um, and knowing them better, and us feeling more connected. And, you know, Matthew has a dear friend that has become a dear friend of our families who's going through some incredible struggles, and, um, and he's finding Jesus and listening to Jesus for the first time. And it's delightful. And I'm waking up. Do you see what I mean? There's ways that God wants to give us abundant life. He wants to, to even, in, even in the monotony, even in uh, the boring and the everyday He wants to give us life. We don't have to find it in these other stories. In fact, if you really think about the story of Jesus, you talk about true crime stories that are so fascinating. And and there's I always love when there's like a twist at the end, or it's not the killer isn't who you thought it was gonna be, you know. There's gotta be some good twists along the way. And I love an epic story like that. But as I am a follower of Jesus, think about where what is the most epic story? I am a part of the most epic story, which is Jesus' story, which is God's story, the narrative of God from Genesis to Revelation. And now, uh, as we are followers of Jesus, we're caught up in that story. And that's what I'm watching in my kids and in our friends and in our neighbors and in you all and your lives. I'm like, oh, God is doing something adventurous and thrilling and epic even, you know? And there's this beautiful, big story that's God's story and that we are absolutely a part of and it is this story of God making all things new. God makes all things new. He restores all things. And so we are not called to live these flat, boring lives. In fact, If you know me at all, or you've probably heard me say this on a Sunday morning, there's so many times that I have to remind myself of this scripture in Romans 6, the idea that the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by giving you the same Spirit living within you. If you follow Jesus and you know him, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. How can life be boring? How can we live flat lives when the Holy Spirit lives us, lives in us, right? Even another word for the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in us is animate. And I love that. The world flattens us, right? We live in this secular age where we don't care about the sacred in the way we used to, and we don't make space, and we don't value the sacred as much as we used to as a culture. 
We value the secular. We value logic and reason and ration and what is right in front of you is what's true and real and right. The world flattens us, but the spirit animates us and our lives become 3D. They become full. They become dynamic and we are awakened to life. I think about even um, Brother Lawrence, who was a monk, um, and he, he worked in a monastery, and his job was to wash dishes, and that's most of what he did, other than pray. And he's this brilliant guy, and he just delighted in God while he washed dishes. So there's even just this sense that even in the monotony, even in normal life, we can still come alive. We can still be animated with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to depend on thrills and excitement and mystery and adventure through things like listening to our true crime podcasts when we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And there's another reason why I think we love true crime podcasts. But before I move on to that, I want to take just a moment right now, and I want you to just quietly where you are, I just want to ask you this question, and I want you to reflect for just a minute. Do you ever ask some version of this question? Is this all there is? What do you turn to? What's the thing that you turn to when you're tired of the daily grind? When you want to be inspired? When you want to feel something? What's the thing you turn to? When was the last time that you had an encounter or an experience where you were like, God is here? A moment where life slows and you're suddenly aware of God's presence or his work in you. God, we want to be awakened to your spirit. We don't want to live flat lives. We want to be drawn in and captivated by your story. Amen. The second thing that so many people said, why do you listen to true crime? You listen to escape your own reality. You listen for adventure or for the, the um, captivating story that it is, the mystery that it is. And you listen because you desire justice. Are there any of those folks in the room you're like, I want to see justice done. And I love this story for that reason. Yes. I also have this in me. I listen to these stories and then I get totally caught up in the story and I'm like, this guy will go down. You know, this needs to be addressed. Evil will not flourish. That is a common thing among people who love true crime. And part of it is that there is this innate thing in us as created by God. We have God-like tendencies as his creation being created in his image. There's an innate thing in us that, that understands or has some concept of right and wrong and justice. And so we want to see justice done. Sometimes we also just want a sense of control, right? It's like, I just want to make sure that this happened, the right thing happens. But so often we want to know, like, I want evil to get found out and I want it to get punished. And I want to know, in the depths of my heart, so often for me, it's like, I want to know that evil does not win. I want to know that the wicked do not flourish. 
And so I get caught up in this story and I'm trying to figure out who is the killer and how can he be punished? And you know, you do know, maybe you all know this, but there's like a whole world of, and I am not in this world, so don't judge me, but there's a whole world of like online sleuths. Have you heard of this? Like people who just listen to true crime, watch true crime, and then like delve into the stories. There's Facebook groups for all these different mysteries and stories where people are like doing their own research, trying to figure out, uh, answers and trying to get justice um, for the victims in these cases. And that is so funny to me. I'm like, wow, these people, like, do they have lives? But I also listen and care and I'm invested. And I too want to be the judge. You know, I become the judge. I want them to suffer. I want the perpetrators to suffer. And for me, when I think about true crime, I'm like, justice is synonymous with punishment. We talk a lot about justice in the church circles of like, we do, you know, we're, there's a lot of injustice in terms of money and um, backgrounds and uh, resources in our city. And so we're trying to fight that injustice or the disparities by providing school supplies. Okay, so we do those kinds of things. Jesus invites us to. But there is this other justice that's just like, I want to see punishment. You know, I want to see punishment for this person who's committed this crime. And there's something in us that longs for that, but there's something else, and that's Jesus, and he pushes back on that. God does invite us to follow him in doing justice, but ultimately what God often invites us to do, and we see in scripture, is that he he reminds us that he is the one who delivers justice. And it may not look like what we think. So what I think should happen is maybe not what should happen for that person, He talks about this in Matthew 5. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And then later on, as this passage keeps going, is when he's like, pray for your enemies, Pray for those who have done evil against you. And then as the passage continues, it's God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. And so even though I have this deep desire for justice to be done, I have this deep desire for the evil one to be punished, for evil to be punished, I have to trust God and I have to release that and trust that God is doing something and God is the deliverer of justice and God will do what God will do, but it's not on me to be the judge. It's not on me to be the one condemning. It's not on me to be the one holding that person hostage. In Romans 12, 19, it says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If I'm honest, I've got some revenge. You know, I listen to these stories. I'm like, oh, I want to feel. I feel the vengeance. But Jesus is like, do not. It's not yours to avenge. It's mine. And I will. I will do justice. We are so limited in what we can do. We're so limited even in what we know. I think that often when I'm hearing these stories, I'm like, really, I hear one side. I don't know fully what's actually happened with people. God knows it all, and he understands it all. And his nature is just. So I hope 
this morning. And I, again, this week, I was like, oh God, thank you. You free me from the burden of seeing justice done. You free me from being the one who has to, you know, be the online sleuth who figures this out and brings punishment. That's on him. And his justice, like I said, is different than what we think of as justice so often. In the world that we live in, we understand justice as punishment, like I talked about. Retributive justice, meaning you are punished for your crime. You're punished for the thing that you've done. And so often what we see in scripture is restorative justice, this kind of justice where God repairs. God repairs harm that the victim and the perpetrator have done or have experienced. God's justice is so often restorative rather than just retributive. And I think about, like one of the first stories I thought about as I was thinking about restorative justice was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector, like hated, you know, in, in his world. And he had stolen from so many people, taking, you know, what was, what he was supposed to take and then taking additional on top of it. He was hated. He was a corrupt man. And Jesus invites him, self, to his house, and Jesus sits down with him. And all it takes is a moment with Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. And what does Zacchaeus do? He wants to restore, right? He gets this vision for restorative justice just by being with Jesus. And he goes and he gives back the money that he stole from people and additional money as well. We see that there's something more than just punishment, that God actually does make things right and restores people and things as well. And we see it most clearly maybe on the cross, just as we did communion this morning. I feel like the whole narrative of, of, of God's story is summed up in this restorative kind of justice on the cross that we see, where Jesus repaired all this harm that we've done through sin by harming his own body, right? He kills the things that's killing us by himself dying on the cross. And so he, in doing so, he restores our relationship with him. He restores our ability to have relationship with each other. And I hate, I I don't want you to hear that I'm like, I'm not trying to simplify this. Like, it is not simple. And I kept thinking that this week. There's so much mystery in this. Releasing God to do justice releasing God, he says, vengeance is mine, it's not yours. Because there is something in us that wants to see that. But there is something more even, and God invites us into a different way. Biblical justice gives justice to more than one party. Often, biblical justice gives everyone an opportunity to be healed and whole, both the wronged and the wrongdoers. And that is not a truth that I always want to celebrate but I trust God's work in that. And I also lean on Revelation 21. I went back and read this this week of this idea that God is always working out all things for good. And that in the new Jerusalem, we will worship the lamb that was slain, crucified, and when he did, he destroyed evil and death and everything is made new. And so I... I hold on to that image again as you're listening to these true crime podcasts, feeling that justice and that rage rise up in you to see justice done, to see punishment done. 
hold the reminder. God is working on our behalf. God is making all things new. He is restoring and redeeming. There's no true crime podcast in heaven. Okay, Brent talked last week about there's no marriage in heaven. There's not a scripture for this, but we can trust that there is no true crime podcast in heaven. So how do we live this out today? How do we live out not being escapists and not being just hungry for justice all the time? I think Jesus wants to satisfy both of those things. That he wants to satisfy this desire that we have to escape. And he wants to satisfy this desire that we have to see justice done. And I think for me, even this week, I felt Jesus inviting me again to be present, to pay attention, to think about my, my friend, Brother Lawrence, you know, who does the dishes and in the midst of it experiences the presence of God. I think about my friend Esther, who told me on a, a phone call this week, she said that every day, she's, for, for a number of months, she's been waking up and she says, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? And then she reminds herself of that a few times throughout the day. Holy Spirit, is there something you want to do in me, through me? And she's like, I've met so many people. I've given away things. I've had conversations. I've prayed for people. I mean, she's had all these beautiful little interactions in her mundane, monotonous life that bring life and bring depth and dynamics to her life. And she is living in this beautiful story. She doesn't have to escape and zone out. Instead, she gets to experience it. And so I would encourage you to ask that question. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Be present and pay attention. I know we live in a world where we got to work, bills need to be paid, kids need to get to school and activities and sports practices and our lives are full. But even this week, would you just ask, Holy Spirit, would you make my life less flat? Is there more? Is there more? I want to see you in 3D this week. I want to feel the dynamics of living and following you, Jesus, living with you. How can we be alert and awake and remembering that the Holy Spirit lives in us? And then for those of us who are justice seekers and we want to see and long for justice to be done, God gave you some of that justice orientation. That's good. But you also got to be tender and be humble and ask yourself, do these stories and these places where I long to see justice, do these spur me on to compassion and understanding? Do these help me marvel at how God is at work in the midst of tragedy? Or do these stories and these things in me stir anger and fear? And release those things to God. Let him be the judge. Let him and trust that he is the one who does justice on your behalf and on these victims' behalf. One of the phrases that we've used a number of times throughout this whole series is humility and discernment. Like, in life, use humility and discernment. As you listen to these true crime podcasts, as you watch Dateline this weekend, use humility and discernment. Don't escape. Don't feel like you're the one that needs to be the judge. Use humility and discernment. And ask God to awaken you to the life that he wants you to have in the midst of the stories that we're listening to around us. Amen? Let me pray.